Now, if you are here worshiping with us for the first time, we are Christ's Commission Fellowship, CCF. We belong to a bigger movement, a discipleship movement. The main church is located in Manila. C5, the center is right there. We are just one of the satellites that God has allowed us to plant. There are a lot of CCF satellites in New Zealand, Australia, Canada, in the Middle East. There are a lot. But we exist for one purpose and one purpose alone. Why do we call ourselves Christ Commission Fellowship? What is it? What is that all about? And that's what we're going to discuss with all of us this morning. Before we proceed, let's commit this very special time to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for allowing us to gather and worship. Thank you for the freedom that we have because we know that in many parts of the world, people are not allowed to worship the true God and King. Thank you, Lord God, for this time. Be pleased to speak with all of us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. What are these? What is that? Oh, the atom bomb. How about this one? It's called the MOB. M-O-A-B. Mother of all bombs. They call it the Moab. What are these? From Russia. ICBM. Intercontinental Ballistic Missile. You have also one from China. Philippines, Tirador. Okay. We just remodeled it. We now have Sumpit. Now what are all of these? What? These are all weapons of mass destruction. You know, some of these bombs, they don't even need to actually hit you. Some of these bombs explode in midair. And the impact is devastating, especially the Moab. They, they used this uh, in the Middle East quite recently, I think uh, middle of last year. But these are all weapons of mass destruction. And that is our title for this morning's message. WMD. Not weapons of mass destruction. But why make disciples. Why does CCF exist? Why is it our passion and our sole desire to make disciples? Is that a good question to ask? Why? Why make disciples? I already know that I am a sinner separated from God. I already know that Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for the penalty of all of my sin. I know that the Bible tells me that if I place my trust in Jesus Christ, I am assured of salvation, I'm going to heaven, and I'm a child of God. Why? Why make disciples? Is that a good question? Okay. Why do we make disciples? Because it is Christ's great commission. Let's all read this together. Matthew 28, 16 to 18. Let's all read. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. 
When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Do you notice the people who had interacted with Jesus, some of them worshipped him, but some what? They doubted. Now, these people were already with Jesus. So I guess you would assume that a person who has personal interaction, first-hand knowledge of Jesus Christ, would worship Him. They saw His miracles. They saw Him raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw Him change the water to the wine. The feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 4,000. The healing of the lepers. What would you surmise Jesus to be? Except the Son of God. But some of them worshipped and some of them doubted. So to make sure, what did Jesus Christ say in verse 18? All authority, both in heaven and on earth, has been given to Pastor Insong. Pastor Peter. Who? Jesus. So when Jesus says something, what are you and I supposed to do? Obey. Why? Because Christ's great commission is really Christ's great command. All authority has been given to Him. And when He gives us instructions, we are supposed to follow His commands. And what is His command? What is it that He told us to do before He went back to heaven? What? He said, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Let's read this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is Jesus' commission. This is Jesus' command. And it is also CCF's mission. That's why we call ourselves Christ's Commission Fellowship. We are a fellowship of believers who have one and one goal alone, to make disciples, to obey the Great Commission. He says, go therefore and make disciples. As you go about your daily life, make it your goal to make disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. For you to become a follower of Jesus Christ, you must first get to know Jesus Christ. Yes? Now, I can say that I know Jesus Christ. But I can also say, I really know Jesus Christ. My friends, it is a different thing altogether to have head knowledge. Oh, I know about Jesus Christ. I have read about Jesus Christ. But for me to know Jesus Christ experientially means that I have embraced 
Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the one who went to the cross to pay for my sins, the one who promised me that if I place my faith in Him, I am assured of eternal life. Do you know Jesus Christ? Or do you just know of Him? Or know about Him? Behind this wall, we have a baptistry. We challenge those who have placed their faith in Christ to make a public declaration that Jesus Christ is their Lord and that they will follow Him no matter what. Look at the components of discipleship. Go and therefore and make disciples. How do we know? We introduce them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We encourage them to be baptized. But that is not it. That is just the beginning. Because the Bible tells us what? After baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, what? Teach them to obey everything. And what is the promise? I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice, it does not say baptize them in the name of CCF. It does not say baptize them in this or that church. It says to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. To be baptized is to be incorporated, to be assimilated, to be one with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then we come, when they come to faith and they take that step of public declaration through the waters of baptism, it is our responsibility to teach them to obey everything. And then what is the promise of Jesus? I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So what did Jesus Christ command us to do? I think I have to wake you up. What did Jesus Christ command us to do? It's so, it's so many that I cannot comprehend, right? God gave us one mission. Make disciples. If there is one thing that CCF as a church will ever do, it is to make disciples. Oh, I'm not saying that those other ministries are not important. But we have one main ministry. One main mission. Which is to make disciples. Are you with me? It is Christ's great commission. So why are we supposed to make disciples? Because it is God's commandment, mission, vision for us. Now, the second question there is, why be intentional at it? Why do you have to be intentional? Why? Therefore, go and what? Make disciples of all nations. So my question is, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when you are born again, are you automatically a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ? I submit to you, if that were true, this command would have been changed. It would have probably said, be disciples. 
But what is the Bible telling us? Make disciples. Therefore, disciples are made. They are not born. When you are born again, you become a Christian. Christ lives in you. Your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible is very clear. Make disciples. Therefore, we have a responsibility to what? Make disciples. Let me give you a day-by-day ordinary example. Parents, you told your child, I want you before you go to bed to wash the dishes. All right? So your child cleans the living room, cleans the kitchen, washes the car, puts the other siblings to bed, prepares her bed, his bed, and then goes to sleep. Did your child obey your instructions? Oh, why? What was the instruction? What was the command? Wash the dishes. What did your child do? Everything else except what was instructed. And then, when you hold your child to account, what happened? I asked you to wash the dishes. Oh, but I cleaned the car. I cleaned the kitchen. I did this. I did that. I did this. I did that. Except, that was not what you were asked to do. So what is Jesus asking us to do? Make disciples. If we are doing all other kinds of stuff, which is not necessarily wrong, but we forget, but we fail to make disciples, are we following the Great Commission and Command? No. I have done everything else except the main thing. That's why Jesus Christ says, when I return, will I find faith? It is not complicated, is it? There are 600 plus commands in the Bible. I think I can do one. Effectively. And if I do that one, I will make disciples. Why? Because that is what Jesus Christ said. Make disciples. What is intentional disciple making anyway? Why? What? How? Will you do it? Why? Why make disciples? Why? Because it is the mission of CCF. As a church, this is our mission. Every member a discipler. We have it right here. That is not just there for advertising purposes. That is there to remind you to remind me that we want each member to be a discipler. Why? Because that is God's purpose for you. God called you. God saved you to make disciples. 
every family, every member a disciple. Now, not knowing your purpose, not knowing the purpose of something can be very damaging. You agree? Okay. What is this? Why? No. What is this? Stand finder. Imagine if you have an expensive iPhone 10 or iPhone X or whatever it is, and then you use it as a hammer. You know, because you forgot your, hand, uh, your hammer is in the car, but you have to you know, put a nail in whatever it is. So you use your expensive 1,499 iPhone X. Oh, yeah, uh, those of you who are laughing, you know, I think you have iPhone X. What will happen? Why? Because you are not using it for its purpose. So if you don't know the purpose of something and you use it for other than that which is designed to be, it would damage whatever it is. Yes? How about using your MacBook? MacBook Pro. $1,700. Chopping board. Because, you know, you had nothing, you were in a hurry, so let me turn down my Mac. And then your family will say, wow, this is a really good meal. And then you will say to them, you know, that is a very expensive meal. Because my MacBook got broken for me to prepare that for you. You have to know your purpose. See? Look at that. You cannot use that MacBook as chopping board. You cannot use the phone as a hammer. Oh, let me ask you. What is this? No, do you not start finding there, boss? This is not, no, uh, I think you have to find something. What is this? See? You don't know what this is. Why? Somebody made this. The only one who can tell you what this is and what the purpose for this contraption is, is me. Why? I made this. I put this together. We will put that camera there in the back on top here and we will drill this to the wall behind so that that camera does not need to be manned. If you do not know the purpose, you will not understand why this was put together. If you do not know your purpose for why God saved you, you will be roaming around in this world. Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? Yes or no? And then you will look for your purpose in many other things, in many other people. Why? Because you have failed to discern what God's purpose for you on this earth really is. So why make disciples? When one is used for purposes other than what it is created for, that one thing will be either damaged and or it will be destroyed. It will be either damaged 
for it will be destroyed. The same thing happens when Christians do not know God's purpose for saving them. Why did God save you? So that I will not go to hell. Yes. When God saves you, you don't go to hell. You spend the rest of eternity with God in heaven. But why did God save you? Oh, God needs me. He needs me to worship Him. Do you know that since eternity passed, there are angels worshiping God already 24-7? God does not need us to worship Him. He is self-sustaining. He is all-sufficient. He is God. He does not need anyone to exist. So why did God save you? If you do not know your purpose, you could be damaged and dysfunctional and not even know it. How does a damaged Christian look like? Will he be impactful? Will he be salt and light to the earth? Will he be useful for the kingdom? Will he be effective? Will he be fruitful? Facts show that many Christians are dysfunctional and damaged. Why? They don't even know it. The devil has managed to convince the person that they are okay. A few months ago, I went to my doctor. He said, Mr. Nolan, uh, I will refer you to the cardiologist. Oh, really? Why? Well, uh, there is some irregularity with your ECG. Uh, okay, no problem. I feel you, you're okay? Oh, yes. So I went to the cardiologist. And then he explained to me, First, he began with the brand of the machine. Why is he telling me about the brand of the machine? You know, Mr. Nolan, uh, the ECG, uh, you know, the benchmark of this machine is not necessarily the same benchmark as this machine. Okay. So sometimes they give differing results. Uh, okay. So what's the problem? Uh, you see this dip in your ECG? Okay. You had a heart attack. I had a heart attack. When? Ah, we do not know. So how do you know I have a heart attack? Because of the machine. It, there's a dip. It should be like this. But there was, and that's a major heart attack, sir. I did not know. So I didn't even know I'm damaged. You know what I'm trying to say? You may not know it. That's why heart disease is called the silent killer. Why? I'm okay. My cardiologist in Manila, in song, what happened? All of your blood work is waving at me. Huh? My blood work is waving at you? Yes. Cholesterol, hi. <laughs> Triglyceride, hi. Are you taking your medicine? No. Why? Because I feel good. That is the deception of heart disease. You think you are okay. You do not know that you are damaged. You do not know that you are already dysfunctional. And all of a sudden, when you wake up, people are crying over you like that. <laughs> this kind of Christianity, my friends, 
damaged and dysfunctional Christians, this is very adverse on the entire Christian community, even today. Listen carefully to these statistics. On the religious front, another poll, very provocative. According to a Pew Research study of more than 35,000 American adults, Christianity's on the decline. 2007, 78.4% of Americans described themselves as Christian. Last year, 214. That number drops to 70.6%. Among the non-Christian faiths, Jewish Americans up slightly, Muslims up half a percentage point to just under 1% of the population. However, the biggest growing segment of religion, those who reject it. Atheists, agnostic, nothing, up 50% to 22.8% of the population now. So what's happening? There's no question that people of faith are being marginalized by a secular media and pernicious entertainment. The rap industry, for example, often glorifies depraved behavior, and that sinks into the minds of some young people, the group that is most likely to reject religion. Also, many movies and TV shows promote non-traditional values. Truth is, if you are a person of faith, the media generally thinks you are a loon. The prevailing wisdom, especially among young Americans, is whatever's good for me, good period. The overall good be damned. True? Parents, not because your children are here with you at church, not because your children join Elevate, that they are assured that they are really followers of Jesus Christ. This data, especially of the unaffiliated, they come from people who were part of a church, who had gone off to college, and when they returned, they are no longer unaffiliated. Meaning to say, they are no longer religious people. Faith is thrown out the window. So be careful. Make sure that you disciple your children. Because if you do not do it, guess what? Somebody else will disciple them. Christianity, present-day Christianity, by these statistics, are on a decline. More and more people are becoming unaffiliated. Less and less Christians are identifying themselves as Christian. Why? Why this sad thing? Why? Well, let's take a look. That O'Reilly is a newscaster, right? So he has data, he has statistics. Let's listen from other church leaders. This is a short video clip of church leaders of mega churches here in the U.S., all right? Pay close attention. What would you say is the greatest need in the church today? And maybe as part of that, what is one of the more dangerous trends you see? And maybe those two things would coincide somehow. That, that's uh, maybe a harder question to pin down. But the greatest need of the church is spiritual growth. The church, first of all, needs to be saved. And then it needs to be sanctified. And I think, I think the evangelical movement as we know it is filled with people who are deluded about their salvation. I agree. They're just not saved. 
um, judgment has to begin at the house of God. And I, I think the greatest, one of the greatest fields for evangelism in, in our nation is the church, uh, the so-called church, the professing church. Somebody uh, said to me uh, about a certain ministry, uh, does it bother you that they took your name, Grace Church? And I said, well, it doesn't bother me that they took the name Grace. It bothers me they took the name Church. <laughs> I could... I, I, I am concerned about the Matthew 7. You know, the first sermon Greg had ever preached at Grace Church was Matthew 7. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, 40 years ago, February 9th, I preached that sermon my first Sunday there. I don't know why that was in my heart then. It's in my heart today. It's the same exact thing. And what turned out was leaders that weren't saved, choir members that weren't saved, um, members of the board that weren't saved, it, it all came out of that first Sunday at Grace Church. And so I think that's a grave concern. The second one is that the people of God who know Christ be fed the word of God so they can grow. Because the, the impact of the church in the world is singular. It's for the sake of the expansion of the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ and the salvation of souls. It's the only reason we're here. It's the only reason we're here. All the rest of the stuff we do, we do with imperfection and the Lord tolerates it, and we get to heaven, we'll do it with perfection. We can't do one thing in heaven, and that's reach lost people. That's why he leaves us here and suffers all of our sins in the process. So, but there cannot be a powerful impact in the church unless you have saved and sanctified people. And sanctification is the work of the word and the spirit in the heart. And uh, I, I just think we have to be better at evangelizing, clearer presentations of the gospel. That's what I've always fought for, the clarity of the gospel, and then the truths of Scripture clearly delineated and proclaimed so that people who know Christ can grow into spiritual maturity and be real representations of what a transformed life looks like. And it's that old, you know, German philosopher thing. The guy said, you show me your redeemed life, I might be interested in your redeemer. And, and I think at the end of the day, that's really what gives the church its great power. So my concern is that the church hear the truth believe the truth, embrace the truth, and grow in the truth. And then the church becomes powerful in its testimony, and it becomes discerning in the way it views the world. Um, and I think the, the church, the so-called church, has a case of spiritual AIDS. It has a deficient immune system. It'll suck up everything. It'll just buy into anything and everything. And, and, and so it can, desire, it can die of a thousand heresies. Exactly. Chuck. Through? Just because you are in this building, just because you say that you are a member of CCF or whatever church, it doesn't guarantee. It doesn't guarantee that you are really a follower of Jesus Christ. Because when you hear the gospel, you have the responsibility to respond to the gospel. And as you respond to that gospel, you have a responsibility to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And you might say to me, but pastor, I prayed a prayer. That's just the starting point. If you miss to follow that relationship, to nurture that relationship, 
by spending time with the Lord in His Word, spending time with God's people, and being discipled to be a follower of Jesus Christ, my friend, you may have missed the whole point. Because what was Jesus' command? Make disciples. He never said, make converts. He said, make disciples. Many Christians are not maturing because they are pursuing other purposes and not God's purposes for them. And this is very tragic because many Christians only want salvation but do not want the transformation that should accompany that salvation. I am a Christian. Why do I need to change this? Why do I need to change that? Because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be conformed to the pattern of Jesus Christ. No, but I'm already saved. By their fruit, you will know them. That's why Pastor John MacArthur, he said, the first sermon that he preached was on Matthew 7. And that is still on his heart today. And what is Matthew 7 telling us? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. And I will say to them, Depart from me, you duels of evil. I do not know you. So is it good for you and I to be sure? That when we say we are Christian, we have evidence of our Christianity? They like the salvation from hell. Nobody likes to go to hell. I, by the way, if you like to go to hell, can I meet you later? I want to pick your brain. Why would you like to go to hell? Las Vegas lang, mainit me. They don't, they like the salvation from hell, but they don't want the, sur the surrender and sacrifice needed to be transformed to be like Christ. The church needs to be saved. The church needs to be sanctified or transformed. Truth does not change lives. Applied truth will change lives. Yes? You and I know a lot of truth of the Bible, yes? The question is, are we applying it? Look at Gilbert Chesterton. What did he say? Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and untried. Son, you want to eat? Why don't you try this? I don't like. Doesn't taste good. Have you ever tried this? Ever? No. How do you know this good? You have not tried. My daughter is here. When she was a lot smaller, I told her, you try this sashimi. Hey, don't like sashimi. Have you ever tried sashimi? No, I don't like sashimi. You try. That was my discipleship before. Increase the volume. You try first. <laughs> now I cannot stop her from eating sashimi. <laughs> See, what G.K. Chesterton is trying to say, it's not so much that it is found wanting, but it has not yet even been attempted. So how can you say that Christianity doesn't work? 
you haven't tried it. How can you say that discipleship doesn't work? You have not tried it either. While Christianity is the answer to the present social disorders, it is not proving so. Why? It is not practiced. And it is not practiced fully. So what does it mean that Christianity is not practiced truly and fully? Who is this person? Oh, why do you know him? Why do you know him? He's famous, right? Nonviolent protest. He's a Hindu, right? This is what he had to say, okay? This is what he had to say. I do not reject your Christ. As a matter of fact, I love your Christ. So far, so good, right? Okay. It is just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. If Christians would really live according to the teachings of Christ as found in the Bible, all of India would be Christian today. How many billions are there in India? This is a Hindu. And his statement says, I love your Christ. But the examples of you Christians are not good. Because if they were, if you Christians, myself included, followed and lived out Christianity, all of India, the billions of people in India would be Christian today. So on whom is the onus? Unlike Christ and if. Why? Why this? Why do we live unlike? And why is he saying if? Because Christianity, if not lived out fully and truly, has a very poor, negative impact or influence on our society. Oh, I like Christ. I just don't like Christians. Most Christians are not living out Christianity truly and fully because they don't know the purpose. They don't know the purpose of their being Christian in the first place. All I know is I'm going to heaven. Why? Why did God save you? To populate heaven? To add anything to His glory? We do not have any impact on our family in our society if we do not know the purpose for which God saved us. So question, for what purpose did God save you other than just going to heaven when you die? God's purpose for you is clear. It is found in the Bible. It's not my opinion. It is the Word of God. If not, then... You may be pursuing other purposes and therefore can be damaged and functional even without you knowing it. 
You're just going through the motions. And you don't even know. Here is the purpose for God to those whom He saved and He chose. Let's read this, everyone. Please read. Romans 8.29 For those... So what is God's purpose for you? For those whom He foreknew, He what? He predetermined that they would be conformed to the image and likeness of His Son. So there is a transformation process involved in making disciples. When a person comes to faith in Christ, this person must be discipled to be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. This is God's predetermined purpose for a person who has come to faith. Christ-like maturity is God's purpose for Christians so that they are excellent, so that they have an impact, so that they are not damaged, so that they become salt and light to the rest of the world. You want God to smile on you? You do? Then do what He asks you to do. This is what He said of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ was baptized, behold, a voice from out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Did Jesus Christ need to be baptized? No. He is the Son of God. He is sinless. He was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. When he came to John the Baptist, John the Baptist said, Oh, you need to, be, you need to baptize me. I am not even worthy to untie the sandals on your, the, the tongs on your sandals. What did Jesus Christ say? Let it be for now, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Why? The Old Testament said, Up, Upon whom the Holy Spirit descends, he is the Messiah. So when Jesus allowed himself to be baptized, he gave us a model to follow. And when he alit from the water, the Holy Spirit, as a dove, descended on him to fulfill the scripture. He is the Messiah. But what did God the Father say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Therefore, I submit to you, Christ-likeness pleases God the most. Because you and I reflect Jesus Christ in our lives to the people of the church and to the people outside the church. And when we please God the most, guess what? He's nearest to us. Just like you. Those of you who have children. When your children are pleasing to you, how do you treat them? Ah, sobra kang galing-galing mo, ha? Masyado mataas ang grade mo. 
Of course not. Right? When they do things that please you, parents, when they do things that honor you, isn't your heart warm? I think we should have dinner. Come, I'll take you shopping. 99 cent store, dyan lang. <laughs> but there is that warm and fuzzy feeling, right? When your children please you, when they do things that please you, you want to warm up to them too. But the same is also true. If they don't do what they please you, there's a different feeling that comes into play. So if you really want God to be pleased, in a sense for God to smile at you, may I suggest, obey God. Do things that please God. Because then, you will really experience His presence. That is why Christ-likeness is the goal of the Apostle Paul for the believer. Look at what he has to say in Colossians chapter 1. We proclaim Him, Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. For what purpose? So that we may present every man complete in Christ. Husbands, your role is to be the spiritual leader of the family, especially of your wife. For what purpose? So that you, husbands, may present your wives to Jesus Christ as a unblemished individual, washing her with the word. It's your responsibility. Paul says, I admonish you, teaching you so that I may present every man complete in Christ. He had also this to say. Christ-likeness is Paul's goal for all of his labor. Galatians 4.19, My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Imagine, Paul, male, says he is in labor. How can that be? Women, those of you who have given birth, you know what it means to be in labor, right? Imagine Paul says he's going through excruciating labor pains. For what purpose? Just to see Christ formed in you. When we have discipleship, when we have accountability with the people that I have been privileged to be interact, interacting with, I tell them, I'm sorry, huh? I'm very nosy. Not because I have a big nose, but because I want to see Christ form in you. So when we have accountability, bro, your wife told my wife, you had a quarrel last night, and you said this, and you said that. Why? Well, pastor, you know, I was mad, and she did this. Well, what are you supposed to do? You're a follower of Christ, right? Was that the positive reaction? Was that how Jesus Christ would have treated your wife? Oh, nga, pastor. Oh, no. See? Are you Christ-like maturing then? Are you maturing like Christ? How do you know if you're Christ-like? How? Look at this. What is this picture? Huh? 
There is a piece of clay, and there are two hands molding the clay. The Bible says, God is the potter, I am the clay. God wants to make us into a certain mold, a biblical mold for Christ-likeness. So that you and I can know for sure what is that mold. God wants me to be conformed to look like Jesus Christ. Yes? Okay. So this is the mold. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 8. Do nothing from selfish from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. If you do that, will you have conflict? Will you have quarrels? Yes or no? Be honest. Why? You want to be selfless. You want to consider others ahead of your own personal interest. Instead of walking in pride, you will walk in humility. You will not react because you want to be humble. You will not take because you want to give and you want to be selfless. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also the interest of others. Have this attitude. The other translation says, have this mindset. It's a battle of the mind, my friends. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but what? He emptied himself. He emptied himself taking the form of a bond servant. Creator God becoming part of his creation. If that is not the most humble thing that God can do, I do not know what else he can do to prove how humble he is. And not only did he become part of his creation, he became a low part of his creation. He became a slave. Look at the continuation. And being made in the likeness of men. That's already embarrassing enough, if you will allow me. That creator God could be like his creation. Being found in the likeness of men, what did he do? He became what? Being found in appearance as a man, he what? He humbled himself. There you are. Do you have that word again? He humbled himself and what? Became obedient. Oh, when you are obedient pala, you're humble. He became obedient. What? To the point of death, even death on a cross. What did we celebrate last Sunday? Resurrection. Why did we have the resurrection? Because before Resurrection Sunday, you had Good Friday. 
And what happened on Good Friday? Jesus Christ went to the cross. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins on the tree so that you and I might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. Therefore, when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, know that selfless humility was modeled by Jesus Christ to the point of death. He modeled it for us. He gave us an example. He died so that you and I no longer need to die. He lived so that you and I can live. Why is Christ's likeness as simple, as simple as selfless humility? Because selfless humility is the antidote for pride and selfishness, which are the root causes of sin. Just think about it. When did sin begin? Genesis chapter 3. Why? Because Eve was proud. Because Eve was selfish. She said, oh, the fruit is pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom and good for food. Therefore, I will disobey God. And I will eat. Samajong? Ano? Todas. Because of one act of selfishness and pride, sin entered the world and death to all men because all have sinned. Why? Because Adam was also there, so it's not just the fault of the woman. Adam disobeyed too because he also ate. He did not disciple his wife well because he did not warn Eve. Think about it. Why do you sin? Because you're selfish. You do not want to obey God. Why do you have conflict? Because you are not humble. Because you are pride. You want your way done. That's why we have all kinds of conflict. So, the antidote for pride and selfishness is simply selfless humility. As you grow or become more and more selfless and humble, you sin what? You sin less and less. You're not going to become sinless. Because we are fallen and we live in a fallen world. But I submit to you, as you practice selfless humility, day in and day out, you will grow in your relationship with God and you will sin less and less and less. But if you do not wish to practice selfless humility, you will never grow in your relationship with God. God's solution to our sin problem is Jesus Christ. We all know this. Therefore, Jesus embodied selfless humility. He gave us an example. He gave us a model to follow in Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served. To serve, not to be served, but to serve. And what? To give His life a ransom for many. He paid the ultimate price. He paid the ultimate price because Christ-like selfless humility is to the point of death, even death on the cross. But pastor, you do not know what I'm going through. 
You do not know all the rigors. You don't know all of my problems. You do not know all of my trials. I don't need to know. Because the Bible says this. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. You can argue with me, but you and I cannot argue with Jesus Christ. Because he shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sin and mine. Selfless humility to the point of death. Are you Christ-like? Are you selfless? Are you humble? If the answer is no, then God failed. God made a mistake. Why? Because if it is God's predetermined purpose for me that I be selfless and humble and grow into Christ-likeness, and I am not, then I failed. Then God failed. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes. Maybe we're just not cooperating with the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 8.29, For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. No Christ-likeness means maybe you're not a Christian. If you are saved, quote-unquote, but not becoming Christ-like, maybe, just maybe, you are not saved in the first place. Why? No fruit. If there is no fruit, maybe you have not been planted to begin with. If you are planted, the natural outcome is that you will bear fruit. Agree? If you do not bear fruit, could there be something wrong? Yes. God has two sure ways to make the truly saved. Those who really understand salvation and the responsibility that comes with it. To be like Christ. He has two ways. Reactive or proactive. Reactive. God predestines the saved to be selfless and humble. And He does that through obedience to all of His commands. But often, the saved are not obedient at all. Or... When they remain disobedient, God reacts, allowing problems in their lives so that God will humble us. If you are committed to do something, if you are committed to the growth of this individual, you will do anything and everything necessary to achieve that goal. Yes or no? Yes. So you have a choice. Reactive. If you continue to disobey, God may allow some things to happen in your life to call your attention. Have you experienced that? First, it's like this. You're still not listening. You're still not obeying. You're still not listening. You're still not... Oh, yes, Lord. I know you've experienced that, some of you. Pastor Dan is very candid enough to say that on the one, on the other wing of the hospital... 
his entire back was being operated on. I was on the other side, the other wing of the hospital. The doctors were removing half of my left kidney. Why? It's better for my body that they remove part so that I will continue to live. Pastor Danny's prognosis is this. If you survive the operation, you will be paralyzed. Imagine, your doctor will tell you, if you survive the operation, which means you could die on the operating table, you will live, but you will be paralyzed. I told Pastor Danny, I visited him in his room on the other wing. I said, Pastor Danny, did you by any chance pray and ask God that you will become a full-time pastor? Because that was on my heart. I was praying about it. And you know what the godly response of Pastor Danny was? You want to know? India. In his mind, no. In God's mind. Yes. Why? God predestined it. Why is, why is my family here? On the surface, well, I had to bring my wife here because she had end-stage renal failure. But why is CCF here? It was never in my radar. Why is CCF here? Because God predetermined that Daddy Pert and Mommy Zeni Tioko would come to faith in Christ through a retreat that was conducted for another church. It was not even for CCF. You see how God moves? Now you have a choice. Reactive, wait for God to move, or proactive. Just cooperate with the Spirit of God. God ordained that Christ-likeness maturity will happen once we make disciples. In obedience to the Great Commission. In obedience to the Great Command. Why? If I want to make disciples, guess what? I have to be the first one. I cannot tell my disciple, Oi, you must obey. You must obey all. And then I'm not the one obeying. How can, that, how can that have any effect? I just keep on telling, Oi, you do this, huh? Oh, you do that. But when they see my life, I'm the first one who does not follow. No impact. Not salt and light. Making disciples of, the, of followers of Jesus Christ is a two-step intentional process. Why intentional? Because the Bible says, make disciples. So you have to be intentional. It's a two-step two process. It's right here at the back. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them first, getting them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Share the gospel with them. And then, encourage them to make a commitment. I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. And then, what is the second step? Teach them to obey everything. I like to break this second step into three steps. Teaching them. 
Bible study. No problem. We need to study the Word of God. Yes? Okay. Teaching them to obey. Accountability. Accountability na. Third, teaching them to obey all. Discipleship na. I can be in a Bible study and my life will not grow. My personal story is when I returned from the U.S. in 1987, my wife was attending CCF. She said, we have to join, join me. Good Bible study. I know that. We will not go through the first timer because I know that already. We will immediately jump to the second level. Yeah. So I am attending. I am learning all of this stuff. But my wife and my family will validate my life did not change. I have information. And then Galatians chapter 2.20 hit me. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It was my aha moment. Oops. If I consider myself dead with Christ on the cross, why am I still living my life my way? And then God began to turn on the switches in my life. Begin to change my marriage. Begin to change the way I disciple and discipline my children. And then I got involved in the care group, which later become, become a cell group, which later became a discipleship group. There is a growth process involved in coming to faith in Christ. Coming to faith in Christ is just your first step to becoming Christ-like. Teach them. Christ-like maturity comes only through obedience to all. Jesus obeyed everything. Jesus obeyed all of God's command. Thus, if we are to be like Him, we need to obey all, to obey all and teach others to obey all as well. Why? That's the command. Teach them to obey everything. So, before I can teach somebody else to teach this person to obey everything, what is the premise? What is the condition? I have to do it first. I myself has to be a person who wishes to obey all. But what do we do? Nako, pastor, you should know my life before. I used to do this. I used to do that. Okay? What have you replaced it with? What do you mean? So you don't gamble anymore. What did you replace it with? You don't... <laughs> I don't womanize anymore. What did you replace it with? If you just keep on taking stuff out, guess what? What are you creating? Vacuum. You are not exchanging the bad by putting something good. You are just creating vacuum. Take the bad stuff out 
put in new stuff. Jesus obeyed all to the point of death. Imagine, okay, he's carrying the cross and they're going to nail him already. Ah, time out, time out. That was not part of the deal. You're on your own. Now what? Where would we be found? Jesus Christ obeyed all to the point of death. If we say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, we should obey all, if need be, to the point of death. Will you die for your wife? Yes. Oh, anak, mauna ka, mauna ka. <laughs> Obedience to all pleases God. Why? That is what God said. Jesus Christ said, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all. And then the promise is, I will be with you. Always, even to the end of the age. Obedience to all pleases God. He rewards it with His enabling, abiding, enabling presence to overcome every challenge or opposition that we face. Why? We need to believe this by faith. Because if you do not accept this by faith, that God is telling you that He wants to bless you because you are obeying all, you will not do it. You will not do it. Sabi lang ni Pastor yan. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it is what? Impossible. It is impossible to please God. Why? Because everyone who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a what? Rewarder. Pastor, prosperity, ah? No. God is saying, I want to bless you. God is saying, I want to reward you. And the pathway to blessing, the pathway to reward is that you obey everything that God has commanded you to do. Pastor, 600 plus commands. Too many. Up to now, my memory burst is still Jesus wept. And you want me to obey 600 plus commands? How can that be? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 8. Be selfless, be humble. And I submit to you, all of those 600 commands, your disobedience to those 600 commands will be motivated only by your pride and your selfishness. So you want to grow and grow and grow in Christ-likeness? Be humble, be selfless. And God will smile at you. And God will reward you because you come to Him in faith, believing that He is and that believing that He is a rewarder to those who earnestly seek Him. Define faith. How do you know if you're really faithful and pleasing to God? Can I show you? Where does faith come from? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Are you spending time in the Bible? Are you spending time with God in prayer? Are you really listening to the service? Or <laughs> Wake up the person to your left. Wake up the person to your right. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. What do you do with God's word? James chapter 1, verse 22, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word who what? 
delude, deceive. That's why we say truth does not change lives. Applied truth, that will change lives. Wives, be subject to your husband. Point? Point. Husbands, love your wives. Point? Point. You heard it. You didn't apply it. No change. Faith defined is faith is knowing God's word and being a doer of it in spite of adverse circumstances. I don't feel like doing it. You feel, you, be, you think that Jesus Christ felt like going to the cross? Father, if it is possible, remove this cup. Father, is, if there is any other way, if there is any other, other way, to save these people. Please, do not let me go through the cross. But in humility and selflessness, yet, not my will, but thy will be done. Praise Jesus that he had the willingness to be humble and selfless, for without which, we are lost. Our sins remain unpaid. And we have no life eternal to look forward to. Because many Christians are not making disciples, they are not able to obey all to become Christ-like and pleasing to God. They want to teach other people to obey all, but they themselves are not teaching or not following or not obeying all. Ineffective. And those who are making disciples are not intentional about it and not obeying all too. So no wonder. No wonder Christianity is on a decline. Because many Christians today are what we call undiscipled Christians. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Yes. Okay, come. Okay, can I? We'll put you in this or that ministry. You, you could be usher. You could be... Nobody talks about discipleship. That's why John MacArthur says, the church needs to be saved and the church needs to be sanctified. Sanctified means transformed. To change... To be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Undiscipled Christians only know the commands. But they do not obey all to be like Christ. How many are obeying? Uh, two. Or one. What is that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. One. We cannot even follow one. Diba? This is the problem with Christianity today. So many undiscipled or Christians who are not obeying all have no impact. That's why O'Reilly can say, by the data, Christianity is on, is on a decline. That's why G.K. Chesterton says, it is not practiced fully. No impact. 
That's why Mahatma Gandhi says, Oh, I, re- I do not reject your Christ. I actually love your Christ. Is that that your example is not appealing. That's why John MacArthur said, Show me, uh, the, the German philosopher said, Showed me your redeemed life and I might be interested in your Redeemer. Show me Christ-likeness and I might want to get to know your Christ. You go to your office, you know, I'm a Christian. Huh? What? You're a Christian? Oh, yes. Hindi alata. Yun. Secret agent po. How can you make an impact? You say you're a Christian, but your life does not reflect your profession of Christ. You say you're a Christian. You come to work. You give sloppy report. You come in late. You leave early. You always complain about your boss. All of this. Yet you say you're a Christian. Is that humble? Is that selfless? Is that like Christ? If, you see that if, if only Christians would live out Christianity, we would have an impact on this world. It's a big if. That's why we need to challenge you. Let's make disciples and let's be intentional because it does not happen. Just because you attend church doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you live in the garage here in the U.S., no, a lot, they convert the garage to a room, right? The garage is for what? Car. You live in the garage, that makes you a car? Of course not. Going to church does not make you a Christian. Attending D group does not make you a disciple. Obedience to all, Christ-like, selfless maturity, that is what makes you and I Disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we challenge you time and time again. Every member a disciple. Why? Now what? Oh, alam na natin, we already know why. Now what? Start with clear definition of discipleship to be aligned. If you don't know what discipleship is all about, you will not be able to apply it in your life, right? Okay. So what is discipleship? This is the CCF definition. Discipleship is a lifelong process. Let's read this. Discipleship is a lifelong process of helping a believer grow in faith towards Christ-like maturity that will result in spiritual multiplication for the glory of God. Our disciples in Manila up to this time, sometimes they call long distance. It's good, may biber na. I have a situation. They still ask us. When we went to the Philippines in January, we had to say no to so many of them. Because we have uh, an intentional discipleship conference. And what was the theme? Challenge accepted. That's why I wore this shirt. Challenge accepted. What is the challenge? To intentionally make disciples. People from Lakewood, God has blessed us with CCF in Cerritos. 
But we still communicate. We still consult with each other. Why? Because discipleship is a lifelong process. It does not end when we say amen and we go home after the D group. This is a lifelong process. So I have people, we have people calling us, asking for counsel. We meet with them separately if need be. Why? I am in birth pains to see Christ formed in you. They know I have no agenda except to see Christ formed in you. So what does Christ-like maturity look like? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 8. Do nothing from selfishness. Can we read this? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. You will become selfless. You will become humble. And you have to make a decision because it is a mindset. It is an attitude of your heart and in your mind that have this attitude in yourselves. Let's continue. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ-like, selfless humility to the point of death. That's why God favors the humble and selfless. You want God's favor? Yes. Only George and Maribik want it. You want God's favor? Yes. yes. What's the key? Humble, selfless. Isaiah 66 verse 4, For my hand made all things. Thus all things come into being, declares the Lord. He's making this declaration. Right? But, you see that? But in contrast, I have made everything. I have made everything. But, to this one. Who is that this one that I will look? To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. You want God's favor? Be humble. Be selfless. First Peter 5, 5 to 7. All of you clothe yourselves with what? Humility toward one another. Why? God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. So what's the key? Be humble. Be selfless. Be Christ-like. And obey all. God favors the humble. Proverbs 22. The reward, oh, the reward. This is not me. This is the Bible. The reward of what? Of humility. And the fear of the Lord are what? Riches, honor, life. Oh, you want riches? 
Oh, let's not pursue riches. Let's pursue Christ. Di ba? Bonus na yun eh. If I follow Christ, I have all of this bonus. Now, a lot of people have a wrong formula. I will pursue riches. I will pursue honor. I will pursue life. And then I will have Jesus. Wrong. Transposition of the equation yun. Lumabas yung mathematics ko. Okay? Pursue Christ. Be humble. And then God will reward you with riches, with honor, and with life. All the things that you and I are pursuing can be found in Christ-like humility and selflessness. Don't pursue the world. For what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and give up his soul? Christ-likeness will happen to the saved. Those of you who have faith in Jesus Christ, it will happen whether you like it or not. Why? Because you have been predestined. This is God's ordained purpose for you. That God is more committed to you being formed like Jesus Christ than you and I will ever be. And that's why you have a choice. Either you want God to be reactive to you or you can be proactive. You don't need to go through some of those pain and suffering that you might have gone through because of your own stubbornness and selfishness. How? How do I intentionally make disciples? How exactly does one consistently disciple a believer to grow in selfless humility? Answer is very simple. You have to be intentional. It will never happen by itself. You have to be intentional. You have to be part of a discipleship group. You have to disciple your family. You have to be intentional. Make disciples is a two-step process. Getting them to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and to teach them to obey everything. Get them to know and obey everything. This step is that step of making disciples that is intentional. Because disciples' obedience to all must be established and measured. For it really to be intentional, it has to be established and measured. That's not happen by itself. Just like your companies, those of you, how many of you work for a living? All right, we have to work for a living, right? Is there a particular process in your company that you have to follow so that you can achieve certain goals? Diba? Do you have a meeting? Okay, general staff meeting. You are the chairman of the board. Okay, I'm the chairman of the board and so XYZ company. For this year, our goal is Bahalana. <laughs> and then if we do not lose money, we will make money this year. If you are all present, you are not absent. <laughs> if you don't go on vacation, you will all be here reporting for work. Is that the kind of company you want to work for? No direction? There must be a goal. There must be a target. That's why your company, your stockholders, the board of directors, they meet. What is our goal this year? Are we going to expand? Are we going to downsize? All of this. 
Because there must be an end to it. And for us, the end is Christ-likeness, selfless humility. It has to be established and it has to be measured. Exactly how does one teach another to obey all? First step is to ask. Right now and today, are there commands of God that you are not obeying? Oh. See, everybody's quiet. Because everybody's guilty. Yes or no? Yes. Guilty. The usual answer is yes. If a person says no, well, that's great, but let me double-check with your spouse. How are you in song? I'm okay. Lynette, how is in song? Nako, pastor. Mm. Who will validate your statement? Your spouse. Your family. Or is it still non-responsive? Then ask permission of the disciple to ask people who know him or her. Pride areas, selfish areas. Is there an area that Pastor Insong is proud? Is there an area that Pastor Insong is selfish? Is Pastor Insong still proud? Is Pastor Insong still selfish? Answer, yes. Why do I know this? Last December 26, it was my wife and I's goal to have a family devotion, which we always try to do towards the end of the year. The idea was to have a dinner and do a devotion. December 26, right after Christmas. So I said, where are we going to eat? My wife is in the kitchen, preparing, washing, whatever it is. Whatever. What is your interpretation of whatever? Wherever, right? So, okay, day goes on. Oi, my son says, Habit burger. Whatever says, Oi, burger na naman. Hey, why don't we just grill steaks? Whatever says, Red meat na naman. And then, I forget the third one. Whatever says, Nako! I zoned out. I changed back to my pajamas. This was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I say, I'm just going back to bed. Finally, my son and my wife finally agree. I said, no. I'm going back to bed. You're on your own. My son rebukes me. Dad, you are so impatient. When it comes to mom, you are so impatient. You are very patient with us, but with mom, you are so impatient. <laughs> so by this time, he's already apologizing. I'm sorry. I know that I am just your son. I said, son, even if you're just my son, you're also a Christian. Therefore, do you have a right to rebuke me, even if I'm your father and even if I'm a pastor? 
Because more than just being a son, more than just being a family, we are Christ followers. But it did not end there. Mom! <laughs> you have to engage. You cannot just keep on saying whatever and then every time we give a solution, you counter. You cannot be. You have to engage in the conversation. You see, my friends, we are not perfect. And I have to apologize and need be, if need be, ask for your forgiveness. If any of us here, if any of your leaders has managed to convey that we are perfect, far from it that we are perfect. But we are a work in progress. And we are trying to evolve and to grow in Christ-like maturity by trying our best with the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to obey all. Any of you have a right to rebuke me when you see that I am not walking in Christ-like selfless humility, just like I, as a Christian brother, have the same right to get into your lives to do the same, so that I may see Christ formed in you. Ask. Ask to get into that discipleship relationship. Then encourage the person that the best way to obey all is for him or her to model. To model Christ-like humility, obedience to all. Parents, the best way to teach obedience to all is for you to model it. Look at this picture. Look at the young lad there. You think these two elderly gentlemen, or oh, when you walk, you have to walk like this. Huh? I don't think so. But when they see it, they will model it. Right? If they don't see it, they don't follow it. The worst thing is this. Do what I say, huh? don't do what I do. Mm. Guilty or not guilty? guilty? Guilty. Children close, close their ears to advice, but open their eyes to examples. Intentional modeling. Making disciples is intentional. It means it is regular and measurable. Measures what? It measures Christ's likeness in the Christian. Selfless, humility, obeying all. It is determined and then measured to make sure that it's happening. If you have no measure, just like in the corporate world, how are we doing? First quarter, second quarter, third quarter, etc. You have to measure it. The maturity that is seen in the Christian. Why? Because discipleship is a lifelong process. Helping the believer to know in what? Christ-like maturity. So we have come up with a tool. I have emailed it to you. It's called the discipleship matrix. It looks like this.
First is selfless humility. Second is agape love for others. You have a scale. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Why is 5 blocked out, pastor? Because 5 is the safe answer. Given to yourselves, you will always choose neutral. Pastor, 1 to 10? Hindi pa pwedeng 1 to 5? Pwede. Blackout number 3. You're either growing or not. Pastor, I did not get that. Please, can you distribute? <laughs> distribute. That's a hundred copies. Please distribute. Uh, AJ, can you help? Distribute. I already sent out to you the devotional given by CCF Manila. When you do your devotion, when you're with your family, give one copy each. You as the father rate your wife. You as the father rate your children. And then the wife will rate you, the husband. And then your children will rate you, the father, and vice versa. And then you put the date. You make copies. Do not ask for me to give you a copy every week, okay? You make copies. And then you rate. Ah, oh, selfless humility. Pastor Insong is number three this week. Uy! And then there's a suggestion on the farthest end. If you're a couple, for sake of everybody, just uh, maybe just get one for now. Ha, what can I do? There is a suggestion by my wife. You are very like this, like that. Suggestion for you to reach number 10. Be like this, be like that. You will not react. You know why? Because your desire is to be like Christ. You will not react because you want to be humble. You will not react because you want to be selfless. Now, this is just a tool. Right? Now, I know some of you, some of you are going to bribe your family. If you give me seven, I will take you to a steakhouse. If you give me three, tacos. Tacos ka lang. I'm just kidding. But this is a way that you can measure. It has to be regular. Oy, regular kami, pastor? Every new year? Please, make it a point to be regular. Do it, if I may suggest, once a week. Pastor, once a week? We only meet our D group every two weeks? Why is it dangerous to only meet every other week? Can I give you an example? If you meet on the first and the third week, but happen to miss out on the first week's meeting, how many times did you meet for the whole month? If you meet every week and you miss one, how many times did you meet? Three. You think three is better than one? I think so. So be intentional. It has to be regular and it has to be measured. This is a tool. Love. What's the first one? Love is patient. Patay, number two lang ako. If we were rating December 26, number two. And then there is a suggestion. How can you be a number 10? 
the suggestion is, Dad, you listen. Don't react right away or ask. Then you, your family is helping you become more like Christ. Yes or no? But it has to be what? Intentional. It has to be regular and it has to be measured. This is a tool. Now, how can we encourage you to obey all? Teach them to be humble and selfless by practicing Philippians 2, 3 to 8. So that you practice with them daily. Now, I don't like to memorize. That's just the truth. But as you internalize, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of man. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If I always keep that in front of me, in my mind, internalize it, chew on it, and apply it, guess what? This is the result. So how are you, Pastor? My wife and I almost had a major quarrel. What happened? I was about to react. And then I remembered. Philippians 2, 3 to 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Be humble. Be selfless. So what did you do? Pastor, I prayed. Instead of reacting, I prayed, God, will you give me the grace to be humble, to be selfless to this person? What happened? You just grew. Did you not? You grew. So the conflict is very spaced out. And the conflict is not as explosive as before. Why? Oh, before I react. Selfless, humble, to the point of death. Jesus modeled it for me. I have to model it for my family. Doing so will remove pride and selfishness in us. These are obstacles to obedience. Why? Because the beginning of all knowledge comes from humility. I am so humble. I am proud of it. <laughs> Lord, give me patience right now. What kind of theology is that? We've tackled the why. We've tackled the what. We've tackled the how. What's the only thing left? I can preach here until kingdom come. But if you and I do not put these things into practice, nothing. We always just like uh, Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice on the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Right? 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And then we stop. But if you go on, it says, the things that you have seen in me, put into practice so that the God of peace will be with you. We only want the peace of God, but we do not like the God of peace. Because He will intervene in our lives. In song, you have to change. You have to improve in this area, in that area. God, I'm already pastoring your church. Doesn't matter. You need to look more and more like Christ. If people have no clear understanding of what discipleship is in light of Matthew 28, if people do not see the value and relevance, they will not do it. It's called, what is in it for me? Let's be honest. By nature, we are selfish because of our fallen nature, yes? Do you not find time for things that are really important to you? Yes or no? Work. Is it important to you? Because you have a mortgage, you have a car payment, you have uh, mouths to feed, you have a, right? Work. I have to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning to leave by 5.30 to get to work by about 6.30, have breakfast because 7 o'clock is my scheduled up time to go to work. I live 28 miles away. But it is important. So I do what needs to be done because it is important. How about leisure, vacation? Ayan. Just uh, recently came from a cruise. Right? It's important. You save money. Right? You plan. Oh, on such and such a date, we will go to the whatever cruise, Cara Cruise, whatever. Right? So you plan. You save money. You buy the ticket in advance. Why? Because it is important to you. Shopping. Right? Shopping is important. So you plan. Do I have money? No money, no shopping. Cash basis. No cash, no basis. But what do we... Ayan. That's what we do. If no cash, cash, cash. Okay, what is that? Buying things with money you do not have to buy things you do not need to impress people who do not care. Ah. Sige, kas-kas ka pa. Eating. Ayan. Important naman yan eh. Right? YOLO. What's YOLO? Oh, you only live once. You only live once. So let's do this now because you only live once. So why not? Why are many not making disciples? It's not important to them. It's not important. So I don't put time into it. I don't put effort into it because it's not important to me. Some of you who like to play golf, myself included, no discipleship. I will investigate if discipleship is going on in the golf course. <laughs> Early risers, you tee off at 6 o'clock, which means what? You have to wake up at 4 because you have to change and then you have to drive to get to your tea time at 6. Yes or no? Yes. 
Because it is important. If it's not important, you will not do it. It can definitely wait. It's not important. Christ will not return yet. Okay lang. I'm still young. Our survival and happiness do not depend on it. So because we think and we feel that our survival does not depend on it, we don't bother. What if? What if your own survival depended on making disciples? Would you make disciples intentionally? What if making disciples meant that God would give you the oxygen to breathe? Mm. Now what? Now you will make disciples because it is necessary, imperative to your survival. Now do you see the value? Am I making sense now? What if making disciples promises something to you that your Christian life depends on it? Will you do it? And what is that promise? Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you want God's abiding presence in your Christian life, my friend, God's answer is to make disciples. Because nowhere in Scripture do you find the promise of Jesus Christ. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. We all know that Hebrews tells us that never ever will I leave you, never ever will I forsake you. That is true. But you may not experience that reality apart from Matthew 28. Verse 18 through 20. I promise you, I will be with you. If you do all of the above, if you make disciples, introduce them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, disciple them towards Christ-like maturity, teaching them to obey all, this is where I am involved. This is my assurance to you. If that is what you want to do, I am there with you. In Tagalog, sama ako dyan. This is huge. Many times we just recite this out of memory. And we don't realize the promise of God. I'm going to be involved, directly involved with you. If this is what you desire, I'm with you 100%. You can walk the streets alone, but you can also choose to do this. Somebody is holding your hand, step by step, moment by moment. You can be in the middle of all kinds of storms, but you're walking on dry ground. You will always have somebody with you, every step of the way, and that's Jesus Christ. Imagine having Jesus Christ always. Will you be miserable? Will you feel lost? Will you be unhappy? Will you feel defeated? You, will you be hungry? Will you feel worried? Answer, no. Why? Jesus is with me. We have a lot of problems, right? What if you know that Jesus is with you in the midst of that problem? How is your outlook going to be? I submit to you, 
you will be expectant. Okay, God, you said no to this. It means you're preparing something better. Right? Unless you're walking in disobedience. And then God, no, because you did not obey. What would you like to choose? Reactive or proactive? When you are walking with the Lord, you will never be alone. Even if the world abandons you, you will never be alone. Not only do you have Jesus, you have His abiding presence. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. A lot of you know that song, right? Jesus Christ promised, what? I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus Christ said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he what? Bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you are willing to obey all, then you can claim this verse for yourself. And we know that in all things, God works together for good to them who love God. To them who walk in selfless humility towards Christ-like maturity to the point of death. To them who are called according to His purpose, everything will eventually fall into place. Even the adversity that you go through. Because God, even if He takes the reactive process, you and I have to know that it is for our good. And we know that in all things, God works together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. This is the great value, my friends. Listen. Is that modeling selfless humility? No. So you ask, honey, honeyman see? Sometimes sweet, sometimes sour. Honeyman see? Can I disciple you? You ask. Right? And then you respond. What? You disciple me? How dare you disciple me? Or, yes, honey. I think this is God's design that the husband disciple the wife. So I'm in it with you and for you for the glory of God. Wives, some of you like coffee, some of you like tea. Have tea with your husband. Be appreciative, be thankful, encourage and affirm. Not performance-based. Honey, thank you for working and being able to provide food on the table. I really appreciate, I affirm you as the leader of the home. I encourage you 
You don't want to be at odds with your lifelong mate. Do you want to enjoy your marriage or you want to endure it? <laughs> it's your choice. It is your choice. So I encourage you, be humble, be selfless, be Christ-like. Whether your spouse, your children will respond or not, you, you are pleasing God, are you not? And God will eventually move in the life of your wife and with your children. Will he not? Because surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's make Ephod. Every family a discipler. Every father a discipler. Because God will hold the fathers accountable. Every father a discipler. Every family a discipler. Ephod, disciple your family first. Be intentional. It's regular. It's measurable. That's why we gave you this. Use it. I will email it again to you. But you have to use it. What are the metrics? Dads, formalize your ephod, your discipleship, your relationship with your wife and then your children. Agree on a day and a time to come together as a family for devotion. Discuss the Sunday message. Discuss the Bible and then apply the metrics. It's a tool. Do the metrics to each family member. Do this faithfully, faithfully and regularly. Be accountable to your discipleship group leader making sure that this happens intentionally. Have a personal discipleship agenda for your family. You might even want to make this commitment. I will intentionally disciple my family to see the presence of Jesus always in our home, transforming and rebuilding my family to be Christ-like witnesses to each other and to other families in our community and Lord willing to the city and the nation. That's your commitment to God. Why make disciples? As we close. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. My friend, God loves each and every one of us. God knows that we are separated from Him because of our sin. But that is why God sent Jesus Christ to go to the cross, to carry the penalty of your sin and my sin, to die because the wages of sin is death, to resurrect so that He could give us eternal life. This is good and pleases God our Savior who desires all men to be saved. But that is God's desire. And God cannot force you to come into relationship with Him. Have you come to that point in your life that you have placed your faith in Jesus? That you have believed that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. That God loves you unconditionally as is where is. But He is also committed not to leave you as is where is. Because if you come to faith in Christ, He wants you to live 
in selfless humility to be Christ-like so that you and I can have an impact on this world for Jesus. Have you come to that point? If the answer is no, I have good news for you. God is no respecter of persons. If you just express your desire to Jesus Christ right now, He is here. And He is waiting for you to respond in faith. Just in your own words, Lord, I need you. I need you to save me. I cannot live this life apart from you. So please come into my life. Save me and be my Lord. And change me. Transform me to become the image of your son Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you already have that relationship, but you're still struggling with being Christ-like, being selfless, being humble, then talk to God. God, I want to cooperate with your Holy Spirit. I want to be proactive with you. Change me. Conform me to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Is that you this morning? Could be. But that's between you and the Lord. You have an opportunity. Instead of weapons of mass destruction, we can change that if you are going to commit. You can be weapons of mass discipleship. You'll be able to disciple your family. And as you disciple your family, who knows, your family may impact the community that you live in. But it has to start with your commitment. Commitment to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your command, which is true. And you have commanded us to make disciples of all nations. You have commanded us to live a life of Christ-like maturity, selfless and humble to the point of death. We can only do it, Lord God, with your Holy Spirit. And perhaps there are people here this morning who do not yet have a personal relationship with you. Will you speak to that person, Lord God? For today may be the day of salvation for that soul. And for those of us who already have that relationship with you, Lord. Will you impress upon our hearts a serious desire to make disciples of all nations? To obey all and to model obeying all to the people around us so that we can have a positive impact to our family, to our workplace, to our community, to our city, and Lord willing, even to the ends of the earth. Father, we need your grace. We need your Holy Spirit so that we can be faithful to the commands that you've given to us. Be honored, be praised, be glorified. In Jesus' name.